Welcome to the latest edition of the Carmichael Governance Podcast. I'm Dermot O'Carbui, CEO of Carmichael. Carmichael is a charity that provides supports to other Irish charities, particularly in the area of governance. You can find details of what we do and a wide range of free resources on our website, that's carmichaelireland.ie. You can also find previous editions of our governance podcast on our website or on your favourite podcast platform, be that SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Acast. My guest today is Nina Arwitz, who is Chief Executive of Volunteer Ireland, and I'm delighted to have you here, Nina. And a name like Arwitz would sort of suggest that you wouldn't be from this parish, as they would say. (laughs) Maybe we might start by giving your own background and how you ended up in the role, the journey you've taken to to get to where you are. Sure. I'm Swedish, but my name, I wouldn't, wouldn't sound like I'm from the parish in Sweden either. It's a long, boring story, my name. But yeah, I'm Swedish. I, I moved here five years ago. I married an Irishman for my sins. My background is really environmental. I always, from when I was young, was very passionate about um, environmental stuff. So I ended up, um, uh, by trade, I'm an environmental economist. So I ended up doing a master's in environmental economy. And then I ended up working all over the world, really, uh, mostly in environmental organizations. So I was in London for a long time. I worked with London Wildlife trust the national parks there and um, I worked quite a bit in the Middle East I grew up in the Middle East so I have a very fond place in my heart for that so I worked in Egypt and Syria for a bit and then I was very lucky to work in Central America which was completely new to me in Nicaragua and Mexico so I love that I love feeling a little bit international and traveling and then when I was in London I met my Irish husband he's from Dublin and we made a deal we lived there for a long time and we were constantly trying to get away from London it was nowhere neither of us wanted to stay which with Brexit now I'm quite pleased we made that, had that foresight and uh, we made a deal we'd both look for jobs in Sweden and Ireland and whoever got a job first we'd move there so he got a job in Dublin and I had a job I loved and I was a little bit sad to be leaving it and and then I got this job with Volunteer Ireland and to be honest it's 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 a dream job and it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me career-wise. So it worked out really well. For once, you know, often things don't work out and this move to Ireland worked out very well. You might fill us in a bit about what Volunteer Ireland does because some people will know of it, but a lot of people may not be that familiar with what Volunteer Ireland does and the role and and the sort of structure which which you work within. Of course, yeah. So we Volunteer Ireland, we're the National Volunteer Development Organisation. We're an independent charity, obviously. I guess to give you a sense of the size of us, we've got a turnover around just under a million and we've got a staff team of 12, 13 people now. The work we do is we work to advance volunteering and by that I mean we do a lot of policy work. So at the moment the big thing is the government is developing a national volunteering strategy. But we also work with other government departments like um, uh, Department of Transport, Tourism and Sport on their um, national sport policy and obviously volunteering has a huge role to play there. Um, Department of Employment Affairs and Social Protection, there's huge issues there around volunteering while you're claiming job seekers allowance, things like that. We also do quite a bit of research, or we try to anyway, one or two pieces of research a year. So we've done research on the impact of volunteering on rural communities, on uh, migrant participation in sport volunteering, on the impact of volunteering on the health and well-being of the volunteer themselves, things like that. Uh, so that's one bit of our work, the kind of a, a kind of larger scale advancing bit. We also do quite a bit of work directly with organizations that involve volunteers so we provide calendar training and bespoke training on volunteer management we provide a consultancy service that's actually growing quite a lot especially with sport organizations more and more organizations are looking at their volunteer programs and trying to figure out why they're there why they aren't recruiting volunteers why their program isn't diverse and so on so we help with things like that we also work with corporates demand has gone through the roof more and more companies want to facilitate their employees to volunteer so we provide a service around that we do quite a lot of communication 
communications work. So we organize National Volunteering Week in May every year, which is essentially a communications campaign and the Volunteer Ireland Awards in December each year. Um, so kind of two flagship comms events. We do Garda vetting. We, we do a little bit of work around governance in the space of, you know, obviously trustees are um, volunteers, so kind of from that angle. And then maybe most importantly, we support a network of local volunteer centres. So around the country, there are at the moment 22, to soon to be 29 volunteer centres that provide the kind of on-the-ground service of matching people who want to volunteer with organisations who need volunteers. So we're the national support body for them. And we all work through a national volunteering database called iVol, um, which we've just done a huge development on. And I'll plug, we've got a new app. So if you go into your app store, you can download it. And um, and a new um, website as well that we're about to launch. So this is a place where anybody, any organization can post volunteer um, roles, they uh, roles for volunteers they're trying to fill. And individuals can go on and search for volunteer roles. And um, any given time, there's about 30,000 vacancies to volunteer on that database. Fascinating because it is such a diverse range of roles. We were talking a bit earlier um, about one dimension of the work that goes on in volunteer centres which got my interest was the work that your volunteer centres are doing with people in direct provision centres and refugees. You might tell us a little bit about some of the things that are happening around people mightn't be as familiar with or aware that these interesting things are going on. The the volunteer centres, genuinely, and I'm not just saying this because we're the National Support Party, they do some really amazing and quite innovative work. And they are um, severely underfunded and understaffed, so they don't have a lot of time to shout about it and tell people about it. They're too busy doing the work, um, which is a shame. So yeah, one of the projects I just mentioned earlier was quite a lot of the volunteer centres do a lot of work with refugees and asylum seekers. So that might be actually supporting them to volunteer. So for example, Dublin City Volunteer Centre have a partnership with Balsaskin and the challenges they face around that is that it's obviously very transient people come there and then they move on but the great thing about the volunteer centers is that as a network and because once those those individuals are signed up on our database if they move on to cork they can get picked up by the Cork Volunteer Centre and you know that there's a continuity there and we have a lot of people like that who came into Belsaskin and are now all over the country and, and supported but then we also do work with direct provision centres um, so for example in Laos they've done a really successful programme with direct provision centres and then reception centres as well and also then in emergency accommodation which more and more um, I'm sure many people know more and more as um people who are living in direct provision get their papers, they are not able to leave because of the housing crisis. So they're kind of stuck in those rece- uh, in those direct provision centres. And then as new people come in, um, there isn't enough space for them, so they're put in emergency accommodation, which is meant to be only for a few months, but it tends to be much longer. And obviously there's huge mental health um, problems that arise from that. Um, uh, you know, I, I won't get into my, my uh, whole spiel about the issues around that, but it's a bit beyond my remit, but... Um, I'm sure everyone's aware of the challenges people face a lot of the time and often individuals have come from really difficult situations. So there's a huge amount of work the volunteer centres do then to engage them in volunteering, gets people out. Obviously, it has huge benefits in terms of integration, in terms of language, in terms of a sense of purpose, in terms of mental health, in terms of physical health. So around the country, they're doing really good work. If people listening are interested in finding out more or getting involved, what what should they do? In, in, you know, And I know you mentioned yeah. there's 30,000 vacancies, but in that yeah. particular programme, as an, as an example oh that sounds interesting how yeah. do I get more information and I should say as well it's not just about those individuals volunteering they're also a lot of the volunteer centres run befriending programmes that have been really successful and I should say or I want to take the opportunity to say as well that we hear a lot about negative stories about communities resisting um, refugees and asylum seekers coming to their communities but there's also we have great stories about 
communities welcoming people and wanting to be befrienders and that can have a really positive impact of course on the general discourse around I should admit my own politics here I'm, I'm a very pro-immigration person so I, I come with that bias but um, you know there's a huge amount of positive in terms of befriending programs and, and communities welcoming refugees and asylum seekers that, that's it out there. It always get, get heard. Or it doesn't, no, and of course negative news stories tend to get heard most. But so if, if you're interested in that, I'd suggest whatever county you're in, um, Google your county's name and then Volunteer Centre, and your Volunteer Centre will come up. And you can search on a database, but it might be easiest to just pick up the phone and call them. Some counties have more refugees and asylum seekers than others, so you know, call them and ask, and, and um, they should be able to help you. You mentioned earlier about the new volunteering strategy that's emerging. What should we expect to see coming from that? And I know it's still it's in the consultation phase, it's just mm-hmm. finished, but what sort of things should we look forward to see coming from the, the new volunteering strategy, which we hope should see sometime this year? Yeah. Hopefully, we were originally hoping for it in the first quarter of the year, but then the election went and happened. But uh, I guess maybe the best way to explain it is, is to, to start from why, why we have one. It's something we've been campaigning for for a long time, and we're very happy it's finally happening. And I guess there's a few reasons we really wanted a volunteering strategy. And the main one is that th- there is a potential crisis looming in the horizon in terms of volunteering. So, so the issue, you know, to put it really simply, is that the way people want to volunteer is changing and the so people and and this is you know generalizing but in general uh, in Ireland and and internationally as well people want more short-term roles one-off roles virtual volunteering roles seasonal volunteering roles episodic volunteering roles the days when you get a volunteer to sign up you know every Tuesday night for the rest of your life until you die are changing so and that will cause problems for organizations that have worked yeah, on that model. And it, and it already is. Because um, yeah, you, know, you, you wouldn't take long to start thinking of examples of any sports organizations that need people that are out training, organizing the matches, getting people to the matches, or whether you're in the arts. So yeah. that, I can see, would create a, a, a difficulty in terms of if I'm, if I'm running an organization, I need to know who I've got available. Exactly. And if that is very transient or specific, it can cause difficulties. So what sort of things are you trying to yeah, it's, influence it's, there? It's, it's a really it's a really big challenge and and um, it's not that those types of roles aren't going to exist anymore you know an organization that runs um, a suicide hotline needs commitment and they invest a lot of training in their volunteers and they need to know that they're not just coming for one time and you know um, those roles there's there's definitely still a place for those roles and there are still people who want to do those roles it's not that those people you know don't exist anymore I guess the challenge is that many organizations who involve volunteers who rely on volunteers they um, as we know the whole sector is under pressure I'm sure other people speaking on your podcast have talked a lot about the pressures the sector is under and that means they don't have a lot of time left volunteer programs are often seen as a kind of periphery of an organization unfortunately and many organizations haven't really had time or capacity or resources to think strategically about where their volunteer program is going so they're kind of offering the same old roles to put it really bluntly and wondering why they're struggling to recruit volunteers is that that because for whether one the resource is free so therefore they don't have to worry about it as much as yeah. if there were it was a somebody that they had to pay a salary yeah. and had think about all the legality around employing yeah. somebody but yes except except volunteering isn't free so i think there's a misperception there that volunteering is free but of course you need if you if you if you want to make the most of a volunteer program and have a good volunteer program that's you know in line with your strategic aims and that complements your work and and that has a positive impact you need to recruit good volunteers you need to retain good volunteers you need to get rid of volunteers who, who are problematic you need to train your volunteers you need to support them you need you know you need some 
some kind of volunteer manager function. Some organizations, you know, the bigger hospices, for example, have, have you know, full-time paid volunteer managers. But most, uh, as you know so well, most organizations in Ireland are very small. They have no or very few staff, and they have very little time to invest in their volunteers. And, and I'm just taking from my own personal experience here, a lot of things we do, um, we are very much dependent on volunteers, but we, we, we didn't think about... As well, there, there were people that were helping out. It was that sort of, you know, yeah. you ask somebody to do something and, and they do it. Yeah. But um, just to take an example of the Good Governance Awards review around the year, there's over 50 people volunteering exactly. to, to make that yeah. happen. And I'm suddenly said, I need to start thinking yeah. differently and strategically about how do, I, how do I make sure that their involvement is beneficial for both them and for, exactly. for, for the programme. Yeah. So, I think a mistake a lot of organizations make, and I say mistake, it sounds critical, but it's really not because, I mean, I do it myself and, and it's because organizations are under-resourced. But a big mistake organizations make is that they either kind of take their volunteers for granted and kind of just assume they're there and don't really think about them, or they treat them like, they assume they're kind of like paid staff. But you, ca- you can't treat a volunteer the way you would a paid member of the team. With a, a paid employee, you can, you, you can make certain demands. And, if, and you know, if people don't meet those demands, you can performance manage them, to put, to put it really bluntly. With volunteers, if they're not happy, they'll leave. And, and worse still, they might tell people that your organization treated them badly or wasn't very good. You know, they're a huge reputational opportunity and reputational risk for you. Um, the way you, you should, in an ideal world, engage volunteers is to understand their motivation for volunteering. For some people, it might be social. For others, it might be about employment. For others, it might be about integration. For others, it might be about boredom, you know, you know whatever it is, and really understand their specific motivation. Because let's face it, most of us work fundamentally. Our motivation is we need to pay our mortgage and we need an income. And if we're lucky enough to have a job we like, that's great. But for volunteers, you need to understand their motivation and you need to try to then um, respond to that motivation. So whether that's, you know, socially having social element to your volunteer program, having training in your volunteer program, allowing volunteers to learn things, to do new things, you know, taking the risk of letting a, a young volunteer, for example, manage your social media account, even though it's a bit daunting to do that. And, and so the, the, the philosophy behind engaging volunteers is completely different than an employee. And I think that's a mistake we all make sometimes, that we forget that. Coming back to your original um, point the about strategy. the yeah. strategy and how how we hope to address some of these issues and and they're they're really challenging issues and you know like you said we our sector depends very heavily on volunteers but the state depends very heavily on volunteers too like coming come being a foreigner myself i was quite shocked to learn over the last few years the degree to which public services are dependent on volunteer delivery and i think in a way that's it's beyond my remit really to have a, a view on that i think that's a democratic decision we make as a country when we all vote well i can't vote yet sadly but we all when irish citizens vote we vote for whoever we vote for and you know on the spectrum of left to right or welfare state you know we get what we get and part of what we have now in ireland at least is a reliance on volunteers and things like provision of of health services. But the problem is, of course, that if we don't address these challenges, then in the long term, we could be in real trouble. And it could have, you know, implications on kind of macro level for the country in terms of how we organize ourselves and how we provide public services and things like that. So this national volunteering strategy, coming back to that, is an opportunity to, you know, we haven't hit crisis point by any means yet. We still have one of the highest rates of volunteering in the world. But if we don't address some of these problems now, then we could be in trouble in, you know, 10, 20, 30 years' time. Um, so one of one of the key things I'd like to see out of the National Volunteering Strategy relates to that misconception that volunteering is free. And um, for, or for volunteer-involving organizations in particular, 
um, the perception is that you know you can just bring on board a bunch of volunteers and you don't need to invest in them. So one of the main things, I'll be happy. You know, I'd love this. I've, I'd love this national volunteering strategy to have all the bells and whistles and be you know innovative and forward thinking and progressive and and exciting. But if there's one thing that it would have that I'd be happy enough with is a recognition that to address this challenge in volunteering it's not about telling more people to volunteer Irish people are very happy to volunteer you know it's one of the most generous countries in terms of volunteering it's on the side of the organizations the bottleneck isn't about the demand from people to volunteer it's about the supply of volunteer roles that meet people's needs so to me the focus needs to be on the organization it needs to be about investing in organizations that involve volunteers so you know for example something very practical is having a fund which they, they have in Australia for example that organizations can apply to to support their volunteer program. And it might be relatively small grants, you know, a few thousand euro or less, a few hundred euro, to, say, be able to pay their volunteers' travel expenses or to be able to cover the additional cost of insurance to engage volunteers. Obviously, that's a huge issue. Or um, to be able to provide some training for their volunteers. And that's about a change in mindset around volunteering not being free. And to me, if there's one thing I'd love this strategy to have, it's, it's that. A particular fund to help um, organizations to be better prepared and better make better use of volunteers. Yeah, and yeah, and invest in their volunteer invest program, in their own, really. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And again, as you said, just listening, you would think of free, but there are costs for the individual volunteer and for the organisation from volunteering, and that often doesn't get recognised. Not at all. And um, sometimes you're, you're dependent on the goodwill of people to put in their hand, their own hand in their pockets to, to, to fund their volunteering activity. Absolutely. And, and that has equality implications um, too, um, because obviously then you tend to get volunteers who are middle class or you know can afford to volunteer, whereas the, one of the big opportunities for an organisation in terms of volunteering is, is it's an opportunity to increase the diversity of your organization. And not just diversity in terms of, I mean, definitely diversity in terms of um, disability, age, ethnicity, sexuality, all those things, but also diversity in terms of perspectives. You know, like we all know in terms of governance that a diverse board, a diverse organization has more ideas, avoids groupthink, avoids, you know, tunnel vision. And so the opportunity to bring in additional ideas and diversity of ideas and perspectives through your volunteer program is huge. But if you're only getting white middle class volunteers, to put it really bluntly, then you know, you're, you're really not getting the most out of it. So to me, it's a, it's a lot of an equality issue as well. I hadn't thought about it that perspective, but it makes perfect sense. You know, if we put up barriers to volunteering, and it can be simple barriers of, if I want to volunteer and I have to get two buses to get to the centre, and I don't have a whole lot of disposable income, that, that becomes a, 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 a huge a, barrier. A barrier. Exactly, okay. yeah, yeah. And there are just examples of, of, of practical difficulties that are out there for, for people that may be, may be wanting to volunteer, but it, the opportunities are, yeah. are, are costly for them, in terms, exactly. not only in their time yeah. commitment, but other commitments. What would you see as the most common pitfalls that charities make? If you said these are the biggest mistakes that charities make in terms of their approach to engaging and utilizing volunteers in their organizations yeah Um, some of it relates to what we've kind of already touched on it's about kind of we see a lot of organizations who see the volunteer program as i said before as a kind of periphery to the organization and don't invest in it and and you can get away with that for some time but of course the problem is um, well first of all those tend to be the organizations who then say we don't understand why we're not getting any more volunteers we're trying to recruit volunteers but you know what why aren't we getting any and it's because you know you're not reaching out proactively you're not um, being careful about who you select to be volunteers you're not investing in retaining 
training your volunteers, you're not training your volunteers and so on. But then it's also, I think, about not recognizing the potential value of volunteers to, to the core of your organization. So, you know, you can measure, a lot of organizations measure the number of volunteer, their volunteer program in terms of, you know, we have 19 volunteers and they gave um, 2,000 hours last, in 2019. And that, that's good, you know, that's, that's added value, complements your services, it allows you to do things you wouldn't otherwise do. But then I think many organizations don't then think about the, those numbers are just a small picture of the impact of volunteers. So for example, volunteers can, as I said, help you increase your diversity. You might, you know, charities are also in our staff look around us, not very diverse, but volunteer programs are a huge opportunity to get more diversity in your um, organization. There's a huge potential for volunteers to have a positive impact on your reputation. So just as an example, I know Tipperary Volunteer Center, I hope they don't mind me using them as an example, have been involving themselves in their office of volunteer who's in a wheelchair. You know, that that individual has added a huge amount to the, the organization. But one of the, the consequences that they hadn't, one of the outcomes they hadn't foreseen was that it's had a positive impact on their reputation with disability organizations in Tipperary. And then skills too, like let's say they've been quite quite progressive and thought you know we we need somebody to help develop our our social media policy and they get a skilled professional who works in communications to come in and develop their social media policy and that's great that's you know that's actually a really nice short-term one-off role that I wish more organizations would do but what they might have forgotten to do a mistake even they might have done is to actually ask the, the volunteer what other skills do you have what else what else do you and and you know once you start asking a volunteer when you first meet a volunteer the first thing you should do is ask them what else what else do you have what else can you give us what else um, and you know not else not not you know in a in a um, let us take everything from you but people have a lot to offer and people have a lot more to offer than they realize and so yeah not asking volunteers what what skills they have and not kind of thinking then creatively oh we hadn't thought about this other thing we could ask you to do i think that's a very common mistake this is a question i've been asking on some of the other guests if you had a wish list what were the top three things on your wish list for, that you would like to see for the charity sector in the coming years that that recognition of the value of volunteering and i think fundamentally really um it's about it's about changing the 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 relationship between i think the state and the voluntary sector but in my case volunteering and and that the current power dynamic which i think is very um despite some rhetoric to the contrary is still um, not really a true partnership or true you know co-production or whatever the the latest trendy word for it is Um, and i think for volunteering that means that you know for example, an organization that involves volunteers, say in a hospice, are being paid, contracted by the state, by the HSE, to provide certain services, and they're funded to do that. And there's no recognition in that in that contract and in that relationship of volunteers as being valued and also different from staff. So, for example, um, you know they're coming down really hard on demanding that all volunteers have certain training, have certain you know quality controls, and all the rest of it. But those demands are so restrictive; it's it's making it more and more difficult to recruit volunteers. Um, so there's kind of a lack of recognition of the role of volunteers. There's a dependency on the volunteers. And then with the other hand, a complete lack of recognition of what it actually means to engage volunteers. I get, another thing I was surprised, um, again, coming to this country five years ago, was that the funding environment here is different to anything I've ever seen before. But something in the, in the funding environment that I find really strange is, is that 
well, I think it needs to mature, you know, obviously there's not a lot enough of it out there, but also the funding relationships, I think, again, are um, not very progressive. What else would I love for the sector? Impact. We need to get better at, at showing our impact and telling that story and not just giving the numbers and the, and the outputs. Um, and I think it's something we all need to work on, our, our end of the bargain. You, you touched on uh, one of my hobby horses. Definitely, I think we do need to get better at demonstrating value and importance of the things we do. And one of the things I've learned today is you know, that we do tend to undervalue the importance in the role that volunteers have. As you were talking, I was thinking about all the groups that are here in Carmichael and all around the country that would not be around, could not do what they do without volunteers. And I think it's a strategic issue and I think it needs to be treated thus as a key strategic issue for organisations in terms of how they utilise the valuable resource they get in volunteers and how that can be better. I do hear, particularly say, with board trustees or board volunteers, that organisations struggle. There's a few things... um I'd like to say about board trustees. Um, one is, um, and I guess it's another wish list, is that we all forget, and I'm guilty of this too, we all forget to treat our board members as volunteers. We know they're volunteers and, you know, we, we remember to call them volunteers. But as volunteers, we need to be careful in how we recruit them. We need to be careful in how we retain them. We need to be careful in how we get rid of the ones that are problematic, just like you would any other volunteer. We need to invest in them. We need to listen to what skills they have. We need to engage them. We need to understand what motivates them. And I think, you know, all those things that fall from remembering your board members a volunteer, we often forget, you know, and I'll I'll be the first to admit, I have to consciously remind myself all the time because they're kind of a special category of volunteers and, you know, the chairman is my boss and all the rest of it. All those principles still apply. But then the other thing I'd love to talk about uh, in terms of board members members as volunteers is I've been saying and a lot of people have been saying it's becoming increasingly difficult to recruit board members people as volunteers people are more and more conscious of the legal responsibilities and rightly so people are no longer willing to just sit on a board as a kind of ego project and rightly so that's a good thing but as a result when we realize you know the regulatory burden the legal responsibilities as as we mature in that kind of governance space it is true i think that more and more organizations are struggling to recruit board members and we hear that from our volunteer centers around the country all the time but if i can indulge in telling a personal experience i had recently around this we're we're very excited that over the next year we'll be setting up seven new volunteer centers. Um, so there are seven counties that still don't have a volunteer center. Um, and in those counties, um, the Department for Rural and Community Development have um, brilliantly found funding to, to change that. And Volunteer Ireland has been tasked with setting those volunteer centers up. So the first thing we had to do was recruit boards. And we started back in September, October. And just this week, we made the offers, seven new boards. On each board, there would be about between about five or eight people. So we succeeded in a few months to recruit about 40, 50 charity trustees. So it's possible, but this is how much we had to invest in it. So we have a full-time volunteer center development manager who's been working on this full out. We developed eight role descriptions, so volunteer role descriptions for the board. So, you know, finance, HR, governance, comms, each with a specific function. We had budget to do paid advertisement in local radios. We sent out press releases. We were on local radio stations. I spent a huge amount of my time in September, October, traveling to those counties and meeting with the county council, the PPN, the local development company, any of volunteer-involving organizations who'd meet me. In each county, we held two public meetings. So we spent a whole, and we did a huge amount of promotion for those public meetings we did posters we we circulated it we put the board rolls up on our own website on the wheels website on um, board matches website on active link and then we we treated the recruitment very seriously so we had we didn't call them interviews but we had meetings with each of the candidates um, a kind of structured conversation to make sure it was a good fit 
there are individuals we said no to and individuals we said yes to. We looked at the general composition of the board. We thought about how different personalities would match each other, you know, stronger characters and maybe, you know, more, more less experienced ones. So if you do all that, you can recruit trustees. But the point, of course, is that that takes a lot of money and time. And we were lucky enough to have that, but most aren't. I, reckon, I think it's, it's very, very illustrative of the importance of taking the task seriously. You reap what you sow, and if you don't put the effort in, and I say to organisations, you know, think of the effort you put into recruiting a chief executive exactly. and compare that with recruiting a board member, and you know, you, you suddenly realise there's a big gap there. And yes. you know, there are people there, if approached correctly and attracted by how you describe a role description and communicate clearly about what you're looking for in the commitment, there are people who will step forward, yeah. and, but it does take effort. We can't get them if you don't put the effort into it. If you're interested in volunteering, go onto the website, iVol, or contact your local volunteer centre. There is a rich array of opportunities there for people to, to explore and hopefully engage in. This has been fascinating. I've, I've learned a lot about the whole area of volunteering. Thank you very much, Nina. It has been great talking to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to our latest Carmichael Governance Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, it would be of great benefit to us if you could give it a rating, as that helps to create greater awareness of these podcasts. So until the next time, Slán Gofold.